Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Mark chapter 14, verse 27 through 31, and then I'm going to skip down uh, a couple of verses to verse 66 through 72. And it says this in Mark chapter 14. It says, then Jesus, it says, then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Just to give this scripture some context, this was Jesus right before he would go to Gethsemane which was ultimately where Judas Iscariot would meet him and betray Jesus into the hands of the Pharisees, where Jesus would then be scourged and ultimately crucified. So this is Jesus talking to his disciples and kind of prophesying as to what their response would be when this would happen. So he said, all of you will be scattered tonight because of me. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And of course, Peter speaks up and says to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, three times you will deny me. And but he spoke more vehemently. And he said, even if I have to die with you, Lord, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. We're gonna jump down to verse 66, uh, jump down to verse 66 through 72, and it says this. Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, this is after Jesus had been brought to trial. Gethsemane already happened. Jesus' sweating blood already happened. He was already betrayed. And so this is another scene that from Peter's point of view, he was down in the courtyard and one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when she saw Peter was warming himself by the fire, which this is a key point. I like to stop and just park here for about 30 seconds, if that's okay. She saw Peter warming himself by the fire. Now, Peter had just denied Jesus, or is about to, but he has lost his internal fire. You hear what I'm saying? And anytime you lose your internal fire, you use external things to warm yourself. And this is why it's so important to stay close to Jesus. Because what happens is, is when you truly lose the fire, you start drinking. You start dabbling in things. You start looking at that phone screen. You start sitting on Facebook just a little bit too long. Anytime you lose your internal fire, you have to use external things to keep you warm. Look at somebody and say, stay close to Jesus. Look at somebody else and say, you stay close to Jesus now. So Peter was warming himself by the fire, and she looked at him and said, you were also with Jesus of Nazareth, but he denied it, number one, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. And he went out on the porch, and a rooster crowed. And then the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them, but he denied it again. And a little later, a third time, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear. 
And he said, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And a second time, the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, three times, you will deny me. And when he thought about that, he wept. Peter was the perfect, perfect iconic figure, at least in my mind, in the Bible, that we can learn from. He, he much describes our life in Christendom. And when I say Christendom, I don't mean to be super spiritual, um, just meaning in your Christianity, meaning he meant well in much of his approaches, but he struggled with so many different weaknesses just like we do. Look at somebody and say, you know that you. No, don't look at him and say that. <laughs> but for me, he's an iconic figure. And most of the time, when I hear a communicator or a preacher or a pastor talk about Peter, they're talking about all the highlights. You know, Peter walked on water. You know, people got healed by Peter's shadow, which all this would eventually take place. But in Peter's early walk with Jesus, Peter struggled. As I labeled a few different things here and noted them, uh, Peter, number one, was an uneducated man. And that should make us all feel really good if you're uneducated and do not have a college degree. God can still use you. He was an uneducated man, yet Jesus used this main man to establish the first church. He was a hothead. Just look straight. He even pulls out a sword. He had such an anger problem. My brother talked about fighting. You know, we grew up in Pine Hills, so, you know, it just, <laughs> being a hothead, like we didn't, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. And so Peter had such an anger problem that that whole scene that I was talking about in Gethsemane, Peter's trying to protect Jesus. He tried to fulfill what he said. He pulled out a sword and he cut off Caiaphas' friend's ear off, one of his family members. In other words, Jesus was being protected by Peter. Peter pulls out a sword. He's so angry, he cuts a guy's ear off. He doubted Jesus. Somebody say he doubted Jesus. There is this iconic moment when Peter is in the boat. Jesus shows up looking like a ghost. And Jesus says, Peter, come to me. And Peter walks out on the water. But here's what I read as I was looking through the scriptures is that Peter was walking at first, but the Bible says he began to doubt, and that's when he began to sink. So not only is he walking with Jesus for three years, seeing Jesus raise the dead, cleanse lepers, heal the sick, healing blind eyes, this man of God, Peter, doubted the Son of God. Peter cursed like a sailor. Well, he was a sailor. He was a fisherman. So he had a cussing problem. He had a doubting problem. He was an uneducated man. He was like many of you all when you're on I-4 and people cut you off. You know, we're all saved until we get on I-4. Or 414 at 8 o'clock in the morning. Come on, somebody say amen to that. 7.30 a.m. It starts about then. We're Christians after 9 o'clock in the morning on I-4. But before that, we can't, you know, we're, we're like Peter. And if those failures were not enough, Peter puts the cherry on the pie by denying Jesus three times after he said he would fight to the death for Jesus. It's funny when I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is this impulsive hothead, this abrupt 
young man. And then you read the book of Acts onward, and you're getting a completely different depiction of Peter, especially when you read 1 Peter and 2 Peter, which is in the New Testament uh, beyond Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. It's like we're reading somebody completely different. You're not reading from a man who is filled with failures and filled with fears and filled with emotional issues and mother issues and father issues. It's not somebody you're reading about who is addicted to drugs or had cussing problems or all these different spiritual issues in him. You're reading the writings of a man who is seasoned, a man who is filled with God's spirit, a man who is changed and transformed by the power of God. As I just previously read to you, all this man's failures, I wanna tell you in your life, whatever it is that you might think you're failing at in life right now could be God's very opportunity to use, to promote you, to bless you, to strengthen you, and to mature you. Don't allow God's difficulties that he allows to be wrapped in your life and sent to you by heaven's, what is that delivery company? Amazon. I'm not techie. I don't go online. My wife orders everything. I just like to open the packages. Don't allow heaven's Amazon Prime when it's delivered to your door. Do not reject it because it's often the very failures that you have in your life that God uses to promote you into the next level in your life. And that's why today I want to I want to entitle this sermon today When Failure is Your Friend. When Failure is Your Friend. Everybody say when failure is your friend. And I want to talk about four different qualities that accompany failure in your life. And I want you, as I'm ministering this word this morning, I want you to think about what type of failure you're facing this morning. It could be a job loss. It, it, could, be, it could be delayed destiny. It could be a failure in a relationship. It could be failure, uh, meaning a loss of a loved one. It, it could mean any specific area of your life. You could be 70-year-old sitting in here this morning feeling like you failed your children or your children's children. But can I tell you, God saves the best wine for last. I don't drink wine. I wouldn't know if old wine is good, but that's what I'm told in the Word of God. But I believe today, if you were to look at these scriptures with me, as we dissect them together, I want to change your perspective on some of the failures you might be facing this morning, and it may not even be an external failure. Maybe there's something internally, I'm not good enough, I'm not gifted enough, I'm not strong enough. I don't know what your failure is this morning, but I believe that by the time you leave here this morning, you're gonna walk out of here feeling like a victor. You may be coming in here this morning like Reinhard Bunke said, purring like a kitten, but you're gonna leave here roaring like a lion. In Jesus' mighty name, I wish somebody would give a hand clap for that and get excited. Now, I want to tell you a few specific things, four things that what I believe, why I believe God uses failures in our lives to promote us and to bring glory to his name. And number one, this is not preached very much, but I believe that God uses failure in our lives because he wants to create humility in your life. Humanity, right? Our humanity. Let, let, me, just, let me just say this before I say that. God only supplies where there's need. Where something's empty in your life, it gives God the permission to fill it. You know, you know why God can't work with prideful people? 
because they don't need anything. They're full of themselves. They have all the answers. But can I tell you, God will allow failure, and I've had many. Let me just tell you that. I stand here before you this morning having many victories now, but can I tell you, those victories that I'm experiencing now started with being extremely humbled. And God will allow failure in your life to position you to be able to receive. He first, before he blesses you, he has to empty you. Before he fills you, he has to empty you. Because when you're filled, you don't need anymore. And God is all about filling things. Give him a grave that's empty. He's going to be filled. He's going to fill it up one day with a resurrected Savior. Give God six empty water pots and he'll fill it with fresh wine. Give God anything empty in your life and it will give him permission to fill it. All you have to do is come hungry, thirsty. He says, come to me, all you who are thirsty, and you'll be filled. So when you are empty, when God uses failure in your life, it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he wants to fill you. So he'll sometimes get rid of some things in your life and ultimately allow some failures to happen. He doesn't always cause it, but, he, but he'll use it for his good, your good and his glory. Amen? Somebody say, get hungry. Because God only fills empty vessels. So this same abrupt Peter, I want to read this to you. The same abrupt Peter, this impulsive Peter that, that, that Jesus walked with for three years coined this phrase in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Listen to this. Therefore, whoever humbles himself, I'm like thinking to myself, Peter's talking about humility because the guy I read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John is anything but humble. He's abrupt. He's brash. He speaks out loud. He curses. He's got anger problems. And here's what he says. Therefore, he learns something. He said, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. So God will allow you to go through failures in your life with in mind, I'm going to exalt them in due time, but I need to humble you first. Why do you think God allowed the children of Israel to go through the wilderness for 40 years? He was working pride out of them. Why do you think God allowed Peter to fail saying this? I will never deny you. If, even, if all have, even if I have to die with you, Lord, I'll be the last man standing. He wanted to do something in Peter's life, but he knew he had to get him humble first. What is God using to humble you in your life this morning? Is he using a marriage? Is he using a broken relationship? Is he using some failure? Is he using a bad grade? What is God using in your life to humble you? Because ultimately, he will use that to promote you. In Jesus' name, I wish somebody would say amen. So not long after Peter's denial of Jesus, watch this. Peter goes to the upper room for 40 days. And the Holy Spirit falls, as you know. We call that the upper room experience. And this is right after Peter's denial. You have to understand this. This is at Pentecost. Everybody say Pentecost. Pentecost means 50 days after Jesus' death. The Holy Spirit is poured out in the upper room. 500 people show up in an upper room. Only 120 are left. And then Jesus, by the Spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit gets poured out. Now watch this. The guy that was unusable is now humbled, and he's empty. And now, doesn't it say that the Holy Spirit came and filled everybody? He got filled because he was empty. He was humbled. And that's exactly what God will do in our lives. He'll position us. I like to call it when he pickles us, when he backs us into a corner where we're humbled, where he can then fill us and then ultimately use us for our good in his glory. So this man that was unusable now goes from denying Jesus. Can you imagine the condemnation that Peter was feeling for a moment? 
I denied the very son of God. I said I was going to stand with him. I was going to be the guy who built his church. And then 50 days later, he's standing on a street corner right after Jesus's ascension. And without Facebook, without Twitter, without Instagram, 3,000 people get added to the number. Why? Because he was an empty vessel who got filled and then got used by God. Do you see how the timing can change? And you feel like you're so stuck in your situation right now. Something's not changing. This marriage isn't changing. This job isn't changing. This relationship isn't changing. This certain thing in my life, it's repetitive. Can I tell you that God can shift things overnight if you will get humbled, if you allow him to fill you? So he went from being at the bottom rung of the ladder to being filled with the Holy Spirit and becoming the number one guy who brought thousands of souls into the kingdom almost overnight. Why? Because he was empty. And when you're empty, you can get filled. Once you get filled, you can get used. Once you get used, you can build the kingdom. Once you build the kingdom, you find fulfillment. There's this book called The Final Quest. I love it. You should read it. This book is about the final hour in the church. And this book is years old and it's written by Rick Joyner. How many know who Rick Joyner are? Let me see your, let me see your hands. I, I really recommend, I normally don't endorse books. Maybe once in a while I do, very rarely. But it's called The Final Quest. Get it. It's an amazing book, and it is a small, quick read. Uh, the book can't be more than 100, maybe 100 pages or so. And something stood out to me um, as I read this particular book. And it, it, it's, it's like a parable of the end times. And I'm just going to give you one of the small parables in the intro of the book. But basically, it's someone who's walking to a mountain, and this mountain is salvation. But there's different levels on this mountain, I'm going to tell you about this first chapter. The first chapter is this person gets saved, and there's a battle. There's a war all the way to get to the mountain, a war against demons, a war against these different principalities. But each time this person wins against um, a principality, this person gets an upgrade in their armor as they're making their way to the, uh, to the mountain. Is everybody following me? So each time he would win, he would get a piece of armor. He would get like the breastplate. He would win another fight. He would get the helmet. He'd get all these different pieces of armor. And then what happens is as he gains these different pieces of armor through his victories, the sun starts coming out and shining. And then he finds out, man, I have all this armor, but I'm starting to lose the fight. All because the sun is shining brightly on him, he gets blinded by, his, by the reflection of the sun. And don't you know that's why God doesn't allow us to win certain victories? It's because he wants to keep us humble. And then he begins to cry out to the Lord as he's losing in this fight. And the Lord says, you are missing one piece of the armor. You're, and then he gets brought this old tattered cloak, brown cloak. It looked like, a, like an old tattered cloak from the 19, early 1900s, beat up. And he's like, why do you want me to put this on? He said, you're going to need this part of the armor. And once he put it on, he begins to win his battle again. And he realizes that there's no reflection that's blinding him in the fight anymore. And you know what that cloak was called? The cloak of humility. And so what God will do is he'll allow certain victories in your life. But you have to be careful to keep the cloak of humility on or you will lose the fight ultimately. God's okay with you winning in some victories. What he's not okay with is you getting prideful in the victories. God wants you to stay humble. He wants you to stay meek. Look at somebody and say, stay humble. Stay humble. Stay humble. 
And so he put this cloak of humility on and he begins to win the battle. And that's what God oftentimes does in our life. He wants us to stay humble so we can remain victorious because ultimately it's the Lord's battle. It's ultimately the Lord fighting through us. And God can't trust prideful people. Do you know what I found out in serving in the ministry for years? Is that the only spirit that's unclean that can function in the very presence of God is a prideful spirit. Look, it's all quiet up in the church. I said church. A prideful spirit, an arrogant spirit. That's that spirit who thinks it all, has it all together. But it's that same spirit that cannot receive from God because it's full. It's full of itself. Oh, you want, you want scriptures, Miss Theologian? Back in the Old Testament in Isaiah, Lucifer is in heaven. The Bible says he was, he was dressed with timbrels, with harps and flutes. You ever thought about this? How did pride ever get into heaven? Because it's the only spirit that will be allowed to function in God's presence and still function. And that generally, not to knock on my worship leaders, but generally, that's, that spirit likes to attack worship leader and highly gifted people, highly gifted preachers, highly gifted motive, people who will motivate you. And we have to protect ourselves from this spirit because it will ultimately render you powerless. And here's what the Bible says. Pride comes before a fall. So God wants to keep us low. And, and you know, that's what it says in James. God actually resists the proud. And this is why we have to stay humble in our relationship with Jesus because we can love Jesus, we can serve him, but did you know you can be resisted by him? See, we don't talk like this anymore, but God can actually resist a Christian if they are walking in a spirit of pride. He resists them. Look at somebody and say, stay humble. Number two, is this okay, guys? Number two, God will use failures in our lives to give us wisdom. To give us wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. wisdom. A person that's wise is not a person who is void of mistakes. Let me just say that. A person who has wisdom is not a person who has never made mistakes. It's a person who's learned from them. And that's what Peter did. Peter learned. Just look straight ahead when I say this. Sometimes it takes you dating a few people to learn wisdom. Sometimes it takes preaching a few bad sermons before you get a little bit of wisdom. Sometimes it takes a little bit of heartache before you learn wisdom. Sometimes it makes a couple of mistakes in your career choices before you learn wisdom. But God will use your failures to give you wisdom. In Psalms 119 verse 67, watch what, what, what David says, a guy who's well acquainted with failures in his life. He says this, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, I keep your word. Listen to the weight in that. I want that to really hit your spirit. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. In other words, I didn't walk in your ways until you allowed me to fail. In other words, his failures, his sleeping with Bathsheba, I'm looking around to see if there's any kids in the room, before he slept with Bathsheba, before he killed his best man, Uriah, before he was afflicted, this man of God, the man that God said, I found a man who's after my own heart. Before his failures, he went astray. He stopped serving the Lord. Do you know that's why God oftentimes refrains from blessing us? Because oftentimes when he creates too much comfort, pleasure, ease in our lives, we go astray. But here's what David learned. Before 
before I was afflicted, I went astray. So now his afflictions in his life serve him in his relationship with Jesus. Do you know how I have allowed the failures in my own life? And there are many, as I said before, I allow them to be fuel in my relationship with Jesus. I allow the failures that I've made, the mistakes that I've made to fuel me in my passion for him because I realize too much blessings will blind me like that armor. Too many blessings, too much ease, too much comfort, too much pleasure will blind me to the fact of who you are in my life. So, But when you allow affliction in my life, when you allow failure, it creates this dependency that I never had before on Jesus. We have to keep our dependency. And this is how we stay wise. We make mistakes, we learn from them, and we grow from them. Also in Psalms 119.65 through 72, this is also uh, that same verse that I just read, but I want, you to, I want you to listen to this. It's in the Message Bible, though. I just read you the New King James. It says this, my troubles turned out all for the best. Look at somebody and say, your troubles are working out for, all, for the best in your life. Come on, look at somebody and say, 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 this is for all the best. I know it doesn't feel like the best. I know it doesn't look like the best, but God is gonna use that failure in your life to promote you and to bless you. Look, some people are scared. They don't even want to confess it. But listen what David says. My troubles turned out for all the best. They forced me to learn from your textbook. And I learned from your textbook. My troubles, my failures, I'm, I'm learning the will of God by the failures in my life, by my losses, by my heartaches. I'm learning from your textbook. Truth from your mouth means more to me than striking it rich in a gold mine. What better, lear- what better way to learn the will of God than to seeing what your own will and choices produces? What better way to learn? Have you ever thought about that? What our decisions produce? I'm, I'm only 35 years old, but I, but I am a thinker. I wish you'd get paid for thinking because I do a whole lot of it. <laughs> I do. I think a lot. I'm a thinker. By nature, I'm a thinker. I think too much. My mentor always tells me, you think too much. Man, if I was on the clock, I mean, I'd be overtime all the time. I just think, think, think. My engine's running at night. And just, it just, is anybody like that in the room? You just think. And the engine just, it just, it is a blessing and a curse all at one time. But I think about my decisions. And as a young boy, I, I found myself always observing my, my family, their decisions, who they married, their relationships, uh, some of their problems. I, I just, I, I was observant. I was a very, my mom said I was a little kid. I was just, she said I cried all the time is what I did. So I was very in touch. Is that right, mom? I was a thinker. I think everything used to hurt my feelings as a, as a young kid. And when I found out that God was, was he teaches in a few different ways. Are you ready for this? I want you to take note of this. I found in my relationship with the Lord, he teaches three different ways. There may be more, but here's what I found in my own experience. People can only give a view of their experience. And I'm giving you from what I've experienced. God teaches you in three ways. His first attempt is to teach you in his word. Young people, hear me. This is the best way to learn. He will teach you through his word. David in the Psalms talks about his word being instruction to you and health to your bones, that it might be well with you. You learn through his word. Now watch this. His second way is he'll put you around people who fail you and people who make blunders in life to teach you. That's what I was just talking about. I would watch and I would observe and I've seen them do that and I wanted to do this. I'm like, I'm not gonna go in that direction. So God will teach you through his word. He will teach you through other people's failures. And thirdly, I don't recommend this, but if he has to, 
teach you through this way. He will. He'll teach you through your own failures. He will teach you through his word. Everybody say his word. Other people's failures or your own failures. And here's how good he is. Because he works out all things. All means all. Everybody say all means all. He works out all things together for your good and his glory because that's, that's called sovereignty because he can still take your mistakes and still teach you a good lesson and bless you in the midst of your failures, in the midst of your blunders, in the midst of your own poor decisions. And so there's no doubt to me that Peter learned from Jesus in those three years. There's no doubt in my mind. He watched him heal the sick, as I said before. He opened blind eyes. He spit in clay, and he would rub it on people's eyes, and their eyes would be open. So I'm certain that he was a student of Jesus during those three years, in spite of his own weaknesses, in spite of his own failures. But however, his greatest lesson didn't come from walking and experiencing all those great things in Jesus's life. Did you ever think about that? He didn't, he didn't learn as much as he probably should have just walking in ease, comfort, and pleasure and seeing Jesus do all these miracles because that didn't change Peter. His comfort didn't change him. Being around healing the sick, being around Jesus preaching to 5,000 people on a hillside did not change who would ultimately change the world. It didn't change him. If you watch, he didn't change until he failed. God, I wish you would get that this morning. He didn't change until he failed at something. And God uses your failures to change you, to change your mind, to change your thinking, to rely more upon him, to yield before you make decisions. Yield. Amen? He didn't change until he failed. So I want to ask you this morning, what are you looking at in your life as a failure? Can I tell you, that might be the very thing that God is going to use to get you closer to him and to promote you into your destiny, into your calling. So he teaches us wisdom through our failures. Amen? He teaches us humility. And thirdly, I'm almost done. I'm getting there. This is so important to me, and, I, and, I, and I'm learning. I have learned, but yet I'm still learning. You know, Paul said, you know, uh, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm still in the press. Not that I have attained, but one thing I do, I press towards the mark of the high calling. So, so, so he teaches us also dependence. We don't do well with this. We don't do well with this. Dependence. Everybody say dependence. There are areas in your life that God will not allow victory in until you learn to depend on him. I love this kind of preaching. You can tell I listen to old time preachers because we don't depend on him like we used to. We have enough fog machines. We have enough lights. We have enough great vocals. We don't need to depend on him anymore. We have Facebook, Twitter. Why do we need to spend time with the Lord for him to validate us when we can just you know, post a picture of ourselves doing the duck face and get a bunch of likes? <laughs> and our validation comes from here. And yet we remain unsatisfied. I'm being funny. Not that I'm, not that I'm totally against that. I mean, you won't catch me taking a picture, but... Y'all want me to do duck face? No, I'm not going to say But God wants you ultimately to be dependent upon him. This is why God has a problem with addiction because he doesn't want you depending on anything more than you depend on him. 
Nothing. He is our source. He's our ultimate source. So don't ever fall into the trap of depending on your own abilities. I want to warn you because I've done that more than his presence. And this is what set the early church apart. They weren't dependent on all the other stuff. I think the stuff we have is cool. And there's some churches who have a whole lot cooler stuff and that's fine. But, but, but when we depend on that, it's like he lifts. When we're no longer dependent, that's why I said stop the music this morning. I believe you are totally in the spirit because the Lord already told me, shut the music down just for a moment because we got to get to a place where we're more dependent upon him than we are against the sound. And can I tell you, he is, he, I'm not saying he's completely ignoring the keys or he's completely ignoring the drums, but I, can I tell you, your voice to him sounds much sweeter and it grabs his attention and we have to learn to be dependent on him in every aspect of our life, in every sphere of our life, we have to be dependent upon him. I'm dependent upon him in my marriage, and I hope you are too, because you can't be a great husband without being dependent upon him. You cannot be a great single person without depending upon him. You can't be a great wife without being dependent upon him. You can't, you can't, you have to depend upon him and your health. And I believe in doctors. I believe in being wise and visiting doctors, but he ultimately is your greatest physician. I have, we have to depend upon him in our mind and our, in our thinking. I, I know throughout the week there were, <clears throat> there'll be, <clears throat> excuse me, certain things that come in my mind and try to infiltrate my mind. And I'm like, Lord, I'm dependent upon you for me to think clean and to be sober minded and to be sharp. So my, in my effectiveness, I'm dependent upon him. You understand what I'm saying? In order for us to be effective in life, effective, we have to be completely dependent upon him. And that's what the early church had. They were dependent upon the presence of God. Today, I read it the other day. Somebody said this, is that it was a quote, and I can't quote the person, but this is not my quote when I say this. He said, it is amazing what the Western church has accomplished without God. It is amazing what we do in our efforts, in our own abilities, in our, in our worship, in our, our church building, in, in our programs, and I know we don't have many of them, but even in those little efforts, it's amazing what we have built without his presence. Don't build your life on anything but the presence of the Lord, because one day the storms will come, the waves will come, and it will be tried by fire as to what work it's made out of. And it's going to be one of two things. It's either going to be like st- from the cornerstone, Jesus Christ himself, or it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. You know, God forbid I get to the end of my life or you get to the end of your life, and you stand before the throne of God, and he says, not well done, but, well, Come on in. I don't want a well. You did it. You made it. Don't you want to hear? Daughter, well done. Son, well done. You didn't build your life. You didn't build your marriage. You didn't build your career. You didn't build your ministry on things that are perishable, but you are dependent upon me. You built it upon a firm foundation. God doesn't want us to be independent. He wants us to be dependent. Amen? I was thinking about the story about Peter. I know I've gone over a little bit. Can you bear with me for a few minutes? I was thinking about this story about Peter 
and he was walking on the water. And we all talk about him sinking and him, you know, walking on water. But there's something that really st stood out to me. I may have said this earlier when we were praying and interceding. But, but if, you, if you really think about it, and we know as he was walking on the water, he didn't begin to sink until he took his eyes off of Jesus. Which is amazing to me how many people start well and don't finish well. <laughs> it's because they grow, they grow independent on their gift. They grow independent on, you know, they pray for a job. I know someone recently, God, I'm not gonna say his name. This was on Friday, and I normally don't do this. I normally don't. Normally, I'm, I'm much gentler when I'm not behind a microphone. I'm pretty mild. Would y'all, everybody who knows me, say amen? I'm a little bit more quiet, I'm mild, I'm shy, believe it or not. I text this gentleman, his company's going really well. He used to work for me. And uh, he was doing really bad at first and I was trying to encourage him and he's like, he started telling me all these commitments he started making to the Lord. And he was like, Lord, I'll go to church every Sunday. Lord, I, I, will, I, will, I will give this company to you. I'll bring my family to church. I'm, gonna, I'm really gonna, I'm gonna change my life all these different things. I called him recently. I said, well, how's church life going? He's like, man, my business exploded. I don't have time to go anymore. He said, but I love the Lord. He's the first on my mind. I said, okay. And I felt this. My, my lamb is usually more predominant, <laughs> but the lion came. And so I didn't get a text back until like the next day when I said this. I said, you committed to the Lord that if he were to bless you, if he were to bless you, if he were to honor your company, you would serve him for the rest of your days. I said, you need to come. You need to come in on your side of the agreement. I didn't get a text back for about a day, but I felt like the Lord threw me just, and I was like, oh, I hit send before I can, you know, hit delete. You ever happen to you when you're like, and it doesn't delete. You can only delete Facebook posts. You can't delete your text messages. They see it. It's too late. I said, Lord, but I knew it was the Lord. And this is what happens. This is why he refrains from blessing us too quickly. Sometimes he'll allow prolonged seasons of disappointments and failure after failure so that when he does bless you, you will remain dependent upon him because you realize where your help came from, where your blessings come from. And you'll never turn your back upon him because you realize he is your ultimate source. But let me get back to this story about Peter. So he's walking on the water. You know what I believe? I don't believe because Jesus said, why did you lose faith? But really, I believe Jesus, if he could have said something different, and I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but I believe he would have said something like this, knowing the character of my heavenly father. As, he, as Peter's thinking, why are you growing so dependent upon yourself? You started off depending upon me. And as long as you stayed dependent upon him, trust me, you can walk on water. Amen. You can do the supernatural. You will experience the blessings of God in your life. But as soon as you take your eyes off of Jesus... As soon as you think it's you, as soon as you trust in your own abilities, little by little, you begin to sink into the sea of life. Some, look at somebody and say, stay dependent upon him. We have to stay dependent upon him. Amen. Can you stand to your feet as I close? Number four. You know what our failures do? Here's why failure has been my best friend besides Jesus. First Jesus, then my wife, 
of course, my mom and my family. But failures have been one of my closest friends. And I want to encourage you to allow your failures to be a friend to you this morning. Because many times we reject our failures. Many times we push our failures away. But can I tell you this morning, your failure is your friend. It says this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, in the message version. And it says this, while he lived on the earth, this is Jesus. Everybody say, this is Jesus. This is Jesus speaking. This is Hebrews is referring to Jesus, excuse me, but this is Jesus. While he, Jesus, lived on earth, anticipating death, Jesus cried out in pain and wept in sorrow as he offered up priestly prayers to God because he honored God. God answered him. Now watch this. This is why I'm here. Though he was God's son, he learned trusting obedience by the things which he suffered, just as we do. You would think that failures in life, and failures can do two things. If you process your failure that you're experiencing right now, your disappointment, whatever it is, if you process it in an unhealthy way, the way that God doesn't want you to, it will push you further from the Father. It'll cause mistrust. Whatever it is you're struggling with, that marriage, that job, that school, your health. See, if you're struggling in your body this morning, you can either think of it two ways, this failure. God's not healing me. God doesn't care. This thinking pushes you away from God. Or you can think, I'm going to get on my knees. I know I serve a miracle working God. I'm going to get close to him because he's my only answer. He can heal me. Do you see the difference? Or if it's a job loss, Lord, you don't love me. You don't provide for me. This type of thinking, this type of failure can push you away from God. But when you go to him and you say, Lord, I know you're my source, you're my provider, and you'll meet all my needs. You own cattle on a thousand hills. God, you can provide for me. You put money in a fish's mouth for Peter. God, you took five loaves and two fish and you blessed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish and fed a multitude. Surely you can get my rent paid. Surely you can get my mortgage paid. Do you see the difference? It brings you closer to God. If you will look at your failures and allow the Holy Spirit to help you process them, your failure will draw you closer to the Father. One of the great failures that seemed to be in the Bible. Do you know why Peter was so disappointed when Jesus got crucified? Because he thought Jesus' life was a failure. Think about that. The disciples thought this Canaan king that's coming is going to turn the whole Roman Empire upside down. He's going to set up his kingdom. And you're going to free us from the Roman government. And yet he dies on a tree, humiliated, naked, bruised, his back whipped open. The Bible said he was marred more than any man. His ribs were exposed. The Bible even says it gives such a description and says that even his entrails were hanging out. By all measures, by all human measures, his death was a failure to humanity. And yet God turned his failure into our victory. Failure was his best friend. Because if he didn't seemingly fail in human eyes, he could have never raised from the grave. 
he could have never raised up and now that now that he's raised we can be raised I, I call that victory now that he ascended on high one day we'll be raptured the church will be raptured and we'll be ascended on high as well worshiping God gathering around the throne worshiping the king of kings and the Lord of lords Luke chapter 22, and this is my last verse. Here's what he says to Peter. <laughs> I love this. Peter thinks Jesus failed. He's so disappointed. That's why he lied and said, I don't know the man because Jesus failed. Here's what he says to Peter, one of his last words to Peter. He says, I've prayed for you though, Peter. Watch this. I prayed that your faith should not fail. And listen, when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. In other words, watch this. He's saying, after you backslide, Peter, go strengthen your brethren. Watch this. After you learn from your failure, come back, I'm going to use it. After, after you learn from what's failing in your marriage, after you learn... Regarding this failure in your finances, this failure in your health, this failure on your job, this failure in school, after you learn from this failure, I'm gonna use it. I'm gonna use it to build my kingdom. I'm gonna use it to establish my throne on your life because you're gonna trust me more. You're gonna be humble. <laughs> you're gonna be wiser. Come on, y'all ain't talking to me this morning. You're gonna trust me more. You're going to be more usable and pliable for me and my kingdom. And guess what? Once I build you up after your failure, the gates of hell will not prevail. Ha! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977 interested in hearing more check back weekly for new messages have a great day